Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. What's going on, everybody? Thanks again for joining me on the Red Light Report. Another week, another solo-sode. And it seems like you guys have been really enjoying this more informational solo-sodes. I know towards the end of December, we had a lot of repeat episodes to kind of highlight the the top episodes of 2023. So I can certainly understand how that might not be as entertaining or interesting for those uh, avid listeners of, of the Red Light Report. So I'm sure this new information is exciting. But regardless, it seems like you guys are really liking me digging into the photobiomodulation research, methylene blue research, and then highlighting some topics that you guys have requested. Some of you requested me to speak about infrared saunas. So last week we dove into what is an infrared sauna and especially how does it differ from the near infrared light of red light therapy. So we kind of teased apart those details. And so I thought this week, at least to start off this episode, we could give you some techniques or strategies for those that are using infrared saunas. And so I'm going to dive straight into this massive book, and it's entitled The Biohacker's Handbook. And so a lot of you are probably familiar with it and or have it uh, for you like OG listeners of the Red Light Report. You might recognize this name, Dr. Ali Saviyarhi. I know I didn't pronounce that with the correct Finnish accent, but that he was one of my first guests on the Red Light Report. He's all the way back from October of 2021. Uh, and so just FYI, if you want to go check out his podcast episode with me, his interview, I highly recommend it because he's a really, really smart dude. It's entitled Mastering the Biology of Resilience, Immunity, and Longevity. And and Dr. Uh, Saviarhi has two other uh, Finnish experts and, and authors in this book. And it's a massive, massive book, not just in the number of pages, it's over 500 pages, but even just the sheer size of the book, you could do bicep curls and, and, and call it a workout pretty much. But I love the information in this book because it's all cited. It's rigorously cited. You go to the back of the book and, and there's, there's dozens of pages with just citations alone. Uh, so, I mean, these guys are researchers, so that's the name of the game. Uh, and they cover a lot of different areas in this book. They cover sleep, and then there's a bunch of sections, and then there's nutrition, exercise, work, and the mind. So very comprehensive. I highly recommend it. I don't know if you can get it on Amazon or if it's available in the U.S. per se, but you could sure go check it out uh, on their website. I don't know exactly what the website is, Biohackers Handbook, uh, but they also have an Instagram page, so I'm sure you could find it there. But regardless, let's dive into the information that they cover as it relates to the sauna. So they go on to say, and, and this is specifically about sauna and heat exposure, they say that there are two general types of sauna, traditional sauna and infrared sauna. Sauna baths, loved by most fins, are an example of a rapid temperature change to which our internal thermostat reacts in a way that is beneficial for health. Traditional saunas boosts the production of growth hormone, improves metabolism, and increases oxygen uptake. Taking a sauna bath has been found to have a positive impact on the performance of endurance athletes. Sauna can also reduce joint pain and improve joint mobility, as well as ease the symptoms of individuals suffering from tension headaches. A link has been found between regular sauna baths two to three times per week, and a significantly lower risk of cardiac arrest and coronary heart disease. The more frequent and prolonged the sauna sessions, the greater the health benefit. Taking regular sauna baths also reduces the likelihood of catching a cold. The Finnish saying, quote, sauna is the poor man's doctor, unquote, is exceptionally accurate. Combining a sauna bath with ice swimming is a Nordic tradition, the health benefits of which many swear by and are justified by science. The effects of taking a sauna bath are similar to those of physical exercise. It produces heat shock proteins that may have positive effects on muscle growth. Spending time in a hot sauna also appears to increase insulin sensitivity, which is beneficial for weight loss and diabetes prevention. 
So here are the recipes for a proper sauna bath. Stay in the sauna for a minimum of 15 minutes at a time. Two 20-minute sauna sessions in more than 80 degrees Celsius or 176 uh, Fahrenheit with a 30-minute cooling break in between may increase the production of growth hormone two to five-fold. Again, the hotter the temperature, the greater the growth hormone production. And then two one-hour sauna sessions per day may increase growth hormone levels up to 16-fold. Spend 15 to 30 minutes in the sauna, followed by 5 to 10 minutes in a cold shower. When done 2 to 3 hours before bedtime, this will significantly improve sleep quality. And to maximize recovery and muscle growth, spend a minimum of 30 minutes in the sauna after exercise. So when we look at an infrared sauna, they use infrared radiation which heats body tissues directly instead of the air. The frequency of the radiation emitted by infrared saunas is in the far infrared range, which runs from about 3,000 nanometers to about 100,000 nanometers. And so remember, red light is 600 to 700 nanometers. Near infrared is about 700 to 1,400 nanometers. Far infrared, because we're skipping mid-infrared, is 3,000 nanometers, again, to about 100,000 nanometers. So a much, much longer wavelength than near-infrared, which is why it can penetrate so deeply relative to near-infrared, let alone red light, which just treats the skin tissues. But anyway, far-infrared has been found to have tissue-level effects, particularly on the mitochondria respiratory chain in the cell energy production process and the blood supply of tissues by dilating blood vessels and improving circulation. In the past 10 years, many gyms and beauty salons have introduced infrared saunas alongside traditional saunas. An increasing number of people also install infrared saunas in their homes to enjoy the health benefits. In Western countries, infrared saunas are usually heated to approximately 40 to 50 degrees Celsius, which is 104 to 122 Fahrenheit, at which point sweating begins in 15 to 20 minutes. In Japan, the properties of the infrared sauna are used for weigh-on therapy, W-A-O-N, might be WAN therapy, in which the sauna is heated to 60 degrees Celsius, which is 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Patients sit in the sauna for 15 minutes, after which they are wrapped in heated blankets for 30 minutes or more. Weigh-on therapy is used particularly for patients suffering from heart failure in effort to increase stroke volume, cardiac output, and ejection fraction. According to studies, weigh-on therapy significantly reduces cardiac deaths and issues caused by heart failure. Here are some other health benefits of the infrared sauna. It reduces oxidative stress in the body. It speeds up recovery from exercise. It may reduce short and long-term pain. It may promote the detoxification of the body through increased microcirculation and deep sweating caused by infrared radiation. And lastly, it may be used as a treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome as it can significantly ease the symptoms. And now we'll move on to a protocol here. And this is one that I used to use a year or two ago quite often when I had my, my barrel sauna. Right now I use one of those portable single person infrared saunas that you sit in and your, and your head pokes out. And, and I'll tell you what, it's nice because it's quicker to heat up, whereas the barrel sauna was outside, especially in the wintertime, it takes forever to heat up. And, and as it alludes to here, the infrared sauna just makes you sweat quicker and harder. And, and at the end of the day, that's, that's my goal with, with a sauna. Um, so again, I use the infrared sauna and I haven't used this protocol with that yet. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable to do because it involves niacin and, and you get that nice niacin flush. So it's called the infrared sauna and niacin protocol. So they go on to say, this guide is adapted from the detoxification program used in the removal of toxins contributing to the Gulf War syndrome. The protocol has been used in firefighter detoxification programs. Most toxins, including DDT, PCB, and many pesticides and heavy metals, are stored in the adipose tissue. 
An individual's toxin load is proportional to their body weight, which forms one of the risk factors associated with excess weight. According to a study published in 1990, the adipose tissues of Yugoslavian electronics factory workers contained toxin levels 140 times greater than those found in their blood. After a detoxification program, the toxin levels in the adipose tissues decreased on average by 30%. A key factor in the program is niacin, also known as vitamin B3, whose effect is based on rebound lipolysis. This means that the niacin releases a large volume of fatty acids and toxins from fat cells in a delayed manner, approximately 2-3 to three hours after consumption. Initially, niacin inhibits lipolysis. In liver cells, niacin promotes fat beta-oxidation and inhibits the synthesis of fatty acids, also known as lipogenesis. This may affect the treatment of fatty liver disease. Combining the protocol with exercise boosts circulation and, by extension, the detoxification process. Conversely, infrared sauna improves microcirculation which, in turn, boosts the circulation of toxins in blood and the removal from the body through sweating. In its common form, nicotinic acid, niacin can cause a flush reaction caused by severe dilation of blood vessels. This can be avoided by using a slowly absorbed form of niacin. So now let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's get down to the protocol. So start with a 500 milligram dose of slowly absorbed niacin and wait 20 minutes before you do any exercise. You may increase the dose by 500 to 1000 milligrams per week with the maximum dose described in the original detoxification protocol as 5000 milligrams. Secondly, move briskly for about 20 to 30 minutes. The objective is to raise the body temperature and to increase lymphatic and blood circulation. Three, after exercise, enter a preheated infrared sauna with a minimum of 40 degrees Celsius or 104 Fahrenheit for 15 to 60 minutes. Again, the longer the better. Next, while in the sauna, you may consume coconut water or other mineral-rich fluids to prevent dehydration and to replace the minerals lost through sweating. Then, at the end of the sauna session, take 2-5 to five activated charcoal capsules that bind the toxins secreted in the intestine. They will exit the body with feces. And then, start the protocol with caution and moderation if you are aware that your body has accumulated a great deal of toxins or if your body fat percentage is high. The process of the toxins exiting your body may cause detox symptoms, which will pass. Have your liver function values checked two weeks after starting the protocol and again two weeks after that. The maximum duration of the protocol is 30 days during which it is recommended to consume plenty of minerals and healthy fats. Complete the protocol 2-3 to three times per week. If you want fast results, you may complete the protocol daily after testing it a few times. If you suffer from any chronic illness, discuss the treatment protocol with your doctor. So that's the protocol, guys. Essentially, you're, you're going to consume some niacin at the levels described. You can increase it as appropriate or as you can tolerate. Then you move around for a little bit, whether that's exercise or just some nice movement to, to further increase your body temperature and get the lymphatics going. And then you get into that preheated sauna, sweat it out, and then afterwards you're taking that activated charcoal to bind the toxins and, and get those out of your system. So again, you repeat that. Um, for the duration outlined, and that's kind of the protocol, or that's another way you can upgrade your sauna sessions and really get into binding toxins and, and getting that stuff out of your body. So just some food for thought, but I thought I'd pass that along, especially since that protocol, obviously, A, it's been around for a while, as, as, as they cited, and then secondarily, uh, it's in that biohacker's handbook, which is uh, another form of vetting a high quality process because I trust those three guys a lot in the book they put together. So if they're putting that protocol in their book, then then it must work well. And so again, that's what I used in the past. And really now that I'm talking about it now, maybe I should start implementing that every once in a while just to, again, 
enhance my own infrared sauna sessions. At this point, I'm sure you guys have heard of Methylene Blue, especially if you've been listening to this podcast. You guys have heard me shout from the mountaintops the many benefits of Methylene Blue. So Methylene Blue is a major, major mitochondrial booster. It has a lot of similar properties as red light therapy, but they actually work slightly differently as far as how they derive their benefits to the mitochondrial function. A couple of my favorite aspects include the fact that when you ingest it, the majority of the methylene blue ends up in your brain. So that's why you see these amazing cognitive, mental energy boosts from methylene blue. It can even stave off or prevent or reverse some types of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. This is my second favorite part about it. The methylene blue has this innate sense to help cells that have the most mitochondrial dysfunction first before helping other cells. So not only does it help cells that need the help most, but again, most of the methylene blue ends up in your brain where, as you all know, that is the most mitochondrial dense tissue in the body. Thus, that's why you see all these amazing benefits with the brain with methylene blue. And then thirdly, red light therapy and methylene blue are major synergists. So of course you have your independent benefits when you just use methylene blue or red light therapy. But when you combine them together, you amplify the benefits of one another and you get the synergistic response. So anyone that's interested in red light therapy should at least be considering or looking into the many benefits of methylene blue. And as you know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, my company BioLite has recently released an enhanced methylene blue product that includes certain ingredients like NMN that further boost the energy production of the mitochondria. It also enhances the photodynamic activity already associated with methylene blue by including colloidal gold, colloidal silver, which have their own antimicrobial or cognitive benefits, silver and gold respectively, but they also have their own photodynamic benefits as well. So again, you're amplifying the benefits of red light therapy when you ingest BioBlue. Lastly, fulvic acid helps you absorb anything that you're consuming when you're also taking it with fulvic acid. So it drives everything deeper into the cells. When you take BioBlue, it helps further absorb the methylene blue, the NMN, and the colloidal gold and silver. So you get this enhanced methylene blue product with BioBlue. And so of course, for my loyal listeners, especially you guys that have listened this far into the ad in the middle of the episode here, I'm going to give you guys an exclusive 15% discount on your order of BioBlue. And you can apply that to a single pack or a double pack or a four pack or a 10 pack. And of course, with a larger quantity, you actually get an increased discount. Simply use coupon code BioBlue15 at checkout. That's BioBlue15 at checkout. And you can snag that 15% discount off your order of BioBlue. So if you're interested in seeing what all of the excitement around Methylene Blue is about from its ability to improve cognition, energy, improve mitochondrial function, and furthermore help mitigate or prevent things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and depression, pain, cancer, go ahead and give BioLite's Methylene Blue Enhanced Product, BioBlue, a shot and see what you notice, especially when you combine it with your red light therapy treatments. But let's move on to our first article today. And this one is a doozy. It's really interesting. And it came out about a week ago. Uh, So hot, hot off the press. This one is uh, has to do with methylene blue. Uh, It's from the journal Molecular Neurobiology. And it's entitled Methylene Blue Pretreatment Protects Against Repeated Neonatal Isoflurane Exposure-Induced Brain Memory and memory loss. So again, we're talking about methylene blue as a pretreatment for a brain issue. So I'm going to read through the introduction here, just to give some background on what we're talking about, and then kind of go through the abstract just to expedite the learning process and the takeaways from this article. So the introduction, they go on to say, in clinical practice, general anesthesia is essential for devoid of pain and awareness in various surgeries. Volatile anesthetics are one of the most widely used approaches to maintaining general anesthesia. Isoflurane alone or combined with other volatile anesthetic agents is commonly used in volatile anesthetics to minimize experienced pain and stress. Although volatile anesthetics facilitate surgical procedures and are indispensable in most neonatal surgery with general anesthesia, Emerging evidence suggests that repeated inhaled anesthetics exposure during the early postnatal period poses a high risk of developing learning disabilities and cognitive deficits. Perioperative neurocognitive impairment, 
or PND as we'll call it, is an increasingly recognized medical complication in the post-operative period. Consistent with this, numerous studies have found that inhaled anesthetic isoflurane could induce the activation of classical apoptotic signaling, neuroinflammation, neuro, or neuronal degeneration, beta or amyloid beta accumulation, tau hyperphosphorylation, blood-brain barrier disruption, oxidative stress, and mitochondrial dysfunction. Mitochondrial dysfunction is a typical pathological feature of various brain diseases, including cognitive deficits-associated brain injuries and neurodegenerative diseases. Previous studies found that general anesthetics by isoflurane exposure caused disrupted mitochondrial membrane potential, mitochondrial oxidizing effects, decreased ATP production, and excessive mitochondrial fragmentation. Notably, mitochondrial dysfunction and excessive mitochondrial fragmentation are involved in PND pathogenesis. Mitochondrial dysfunction and extreme fragmentation caused oxidative damage and neuroinflammation may at least contribute to the initiation and development of PND. Therefore, Approaches targeting mitochondria may help alleviate cognitive deficits during the early postnatal period following anesthetics exposure. Methylene blue is a tricyclic phenothiazine agent initially developed to, to treat malaria, cyanide poisoning, and methemoglobinemia. However, in recent years, emerging studies found neuroprotective effects in methylene blue in brain injuries and neurodegenerative diseases. Interestingly, extensive studies confirmed that mitochondria are the primary target of methylene blue in brain protection. Although the therapeutic benefits of methylene blue on cognitive impairment have been detected in previous studies, it is unclear whether methylene blue pre-treatment could prevent or alleviate repeated isoflurane exposure-induced brain injury and memory loss. We performed the current study to assess the preventative effects of methylene blue against cognitive deficits following repeated isoflurane exposure during the early postnatal period. And so with that background, let's head to the abstract and tease out uh, what information they found on, on the study they conducted. And so, just a quick review. Moreover, the developing brain is especially vulnerable to anesthesia-induced neurotoxicity. Therefore, finding a practical approach to prevent or alleviate neonatal isoflurane exposure-induced brain injury and cognitive decline is essential for reducing medical complications following major surgery during the early postnatal period. Using a repeated neonatal ISO exposure or isoflurane exposure-induced PND rat model, we investigated the effects of methylene blue pre-treatment on repeated neonatal isoflurane exposure-induced brain injury and memory loss. Sorry for all the words, bear with me. Intraperitoneal injection, or in the groin, uh, groin injection, of low-dose methylene blue of 1 milligram per kilogram and, and for, for background, guys, one milligram per kilogram. So, for example, let's say you're about 140, 150 pounds. That's about 70 kilograms. That would be about 140 drops of BioBlue, for example. So, that's the, that's the dose they're using. And they're calling it a low dose because, again, a low and effective dose is the range of 0.5 milligrams to 2 milligrams per kilogram. So they're doing one milligram, but again, just for reference in what a low dose of methylene blue is, that's still about 140 drops of bio blue for a 140 to 150 pound person. So, so just keep that in mind and, and the general health and wellness uh, dose, so to speak, and this is purported by Mark Sloan, who wrote that book, The Ultimate Guide to Methylene Blue. He says that doing 10 milligrams twice a day is, is it? in general, a great dosage just for prophylactic mitochondrial health boosting properties. So again, that's 20 drops twice a day. And here with the low dose methylene blue uh, in the study, they're doing about a 
an equivalent of 140 drops for a 150 pound person. So just keep that in mind. So again, they did intraperitoneal, so inside the groin, injection of low-dose methylene blue, one milligram per kilogram, and they did this three times, 24 hours before each um, isoflurane exposure. So the Barnes, Maze, and Novel Objection Test were conducted to assess learning and memory. Immunofluorescence staining, F-jade C staining, tunnel staining, capital all capital T-U-N-E-L, so it's an acronym staining, and Western blot analysis were performed to determine mitochondrial fragmentation, neuronal injury, degeneration, and apoptosis. Evans Blue Extravasation Assay, Total Antioxidant Capacity Assay, MDA Assay Kit, and Related Inflammatory Assay Kits were used to test blood-brain barrier disruption, antioxidant capacity, and neuroinflammation. Behavioral tests revealed that methylene blue pre-treatment significantly ameliorated isoflurane exposure-induced cognitive deficits. In addition, methylene blue pretreatment alleviates neuronal injury, apoptosis, and degeneration. Furthermore, the blood-brain barrier integrity was preserved by methylene blue pretreatment. Additional studies revealed that isoflurane-induced excessive mitochondrial fragmentation, oxidative stress, and neuroinflammation were significantly attenuated by methylene blue pretreatment in the PND rat model. And again, PND is perioperative neurocognitive impairment. Our findings suggest that methylene blue pretreatment alleviates isoflurane exposure-induced brain injury and memory loss for the first time, supporting methylene blue pretreatment as a promising approach to protect the brain against neonatal isoexposure-induced postoperative cognitive dysfunction. And so while this might not be the most applicable study to you, the audience, because uh, of course this is a very specific situation, it just further highlights mito or excuse me methylene blue's role on the mitochondria, especially in the brain, and and those familiar with red light therapy and that have been listening to the, to this podcast for some time or that have done your due diligence and, and research with red light therapy, you're familiar with the concept of pre-treating with red light therapy. You can pre-treat your muscles to improve recovery and exercise performance. You can pre-treat your skin before going out in the sun and increasing the duration before you get that urethemic response, which is indicative of you're about to get a sunburn. And so there, there's countless ways. You can pre-treat your brain before a cognitively intensive task. Maybe you have an interview. Maybe you have a presentation to give. Maybe you have a big test to take. You can pre-treat your brain with near-infrared light to, to improve that capacity, that, that brain cognitive capacity. So here we have methylene blue and a form of pre-treatment. Granted, this is like a surgical situation and, and we're dealing with anesthetic. So again, this isn't applicable to the common person, but it just opens the avenue. It opens the door for, for countless opportunities in, in, our, in our everyday life. A biohacker, just a health and wellness enthusiast, a longevity enthusiast, just considering the ways you could pre-treat your body with methylene blue. So of course, Methylene blue is very synergistic with red light therapy. So you could argue that you're pre-treating your body with methylene blue to optimize your red light therapy treatment. Again, you want to take methylene blue. And if you can, wait about one to two hours before your red light therapy session because that's where you have the peak plasma of methylene blue. And thus you'll get that increased photodynamic activity that methylene blue provides for light therapy. So you could argue that we're already pre-treating with methylene blue, but again, to see a study like this and, and see not only did it reduce the toxicity, it reduced oxidative stress, we're seeing improvements or at least maintenance of things like the blood-brain barrier and ATP production and, and decreased mitochondrial fragmentation. We're seeing a lot of different things in the study that was prevented or 
maintained, meaning it didn't get aggravated by the isoflurane, just by pre-treating with methylene blue. Again, they used a pretty high dose, and by that I mean they used a high, quote-unquote, low dose of methylene blue. That one milligram per kilogram is still considered a low dose, but relative to what we're probably taking for our health and wellness maintenance treatments, that 10 milligrams twice a day, um, it's still relatively a high dose, but in, in the scheme of things, it's still considered a low dose. So again, it didn't take much to uh, combat the negative toxicity or toxic chemicals from isoflurane. And so the other interesting part is we're talking neonatal. Yes, they used rats for the study, so it's not a direct correlation to human beings. But again, the, the study is centered around neonatals being exposed to this isoflurane toxicity, this anesthetic, uh, and the negative ramifications of that. So regardless, we're still talking neonatal and the potential benefit that pretreatment with methylene blue can have. So just like red light therapy, it runs the gamut of the entire lifespan, whether you're an infant or you're a geriatric, red light therapy can help you in your mitochondria. And I think as the research continues to come out on methylene blue, we're going to see the exact same thing. Basically, the premise being, if you have mitochondria, methylene blue can help you with the correct doses, of course. Uh, just like red light therapy, if you have mitochondria, red light therapy can help you. Because that's just like saying, if you have mitochondria, full-spectrum sunlight can help you in a health and wellness sense. So again, this, this article, while it's not uh, directly relatable per se, it does show us, again, I guess it just repeats what we already know and further instills the impact, the profound impact the methylene blue has on the mitochondria, especially in our brain. I've said it once and <laughs> I'll say it again. Uh, taking methylene blue, even just as a prophylactic measure, uh, is a no-brainer, and, and the pun is heavily intended. The impacts are profound, the safety is there, so again, just like red light therapy, very low risk, very high reward. And that low risk, the, ca uh, the caveat there is you have to have a very high quality, a very pure form of methylene blue. Because depending on where you're getting your methylene blue and their source, it could have contaminants, it could have heavy metals, it could have different toxicants in there. So if you are considering methylene blue, uh, you do want to make sure you're getting it from a high, high quality source. Or at least the company you're buying from or, or the supplement you're purchasing, their sourcing is extremely high quality. Because again, this is the type of a thing that's going to get into your mitochondria, it's going to get into your brain. So source is of the utmost importance. And that's why any product, especially any supplement that BioLite puts out, such as the BioBlue with our enhanced methylene blue product, every single thing that goes into that bottle is of the highest quality, of the purest quality. And, and just like our products, we're going to stand behind that 110% that it's the highest quality and, and you can trust and be sure that what you're putting in your body is of the purest and highest quality available. But let's wrap up today's episode with one last article, and, and I assure you, this one's more applicable than, than the previous article. Uh, this one came out about a month and a half ago, early December of 2023, and it is entitled Gut Microbiota and Mitochondria, Health and Pathophysiological Aspects of Long COVID. And so uh, just briefly going through the introduction here, I mean, this is a long, long, thorough article. I mean, you could spend a couple of days reading this bad boy. Um, so I'm going to try to condense it as best as possible and just, just highlight the big things. But just again, going into the, uh, the introduction here, they go on to say that it is estimated that around 100 million people worldwide have long COVID, for which diagnosis prognosis, and treatment options are still limited. The prevalence of COVID-19 symptoms varies from country to country according to reports published by different authors. Some studies mention that after two months of infection with COVID-19, about 87% of patients still have at least one symptom, 
32% have one or two symptoms, and 55% have three or more symptoms, and 50% of patients meet the criteria for ME-CFS, and most have symptoms that worsen after exercise. And the ME-CFS is myalgic encephal encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. So the long-term consequences of the SARS-CoV-2 infection result in huge healthcare costs for recovery and the economic burden on medical rehabilitation centers is not yet presently known. In the United States alone, fund managers have estimated that post-COVID recovery will require at least $4.4 trillion in the future. And that's with a hard T. So that's a lot of guacamole. So let's see what we can do to ameliorate or prevent or reduce healthcare costs. And again, the title is alluding to the impact of the gut microbiome and mitochondria for helping along this, this road to recovery for long COVID. And so without really reading the article, because man, again, it is really long. And if you want to read it, and I highly recommend it if, if this pertains to you or you're just curious, check out the, uh, the link to the article in the show notes. But long story short, I mean, and a lot of it's not surprising. It's stuff we've heard before, but it's just now it's pertaining to, to long COVID. So for example, with the gut microbiome, they found a higher preponderance of harmful bacteria or the ratio was in favor of harmful bacteria, excuse me, harmful bacteria to beneficial bacteria, i.e. dysbiosis. And so that's not much of a surprise, right? Once once the uh, harmful bacteria kind of lay the foundation for, for their home in your GI tract, then, then they kind of run the show after that. And that's where we see these illnesses and these diseases. Uh, and then when we look at the mitochondria, there's a couple of interesting things that came out here is, of course, they noticed that there was mitochondrial dysfunction, there was a decreased energy production, and they highlighted the, the decreased production of NAD and the NAD levels were lower, which led to poor energy levels, which led to uh, less ability to recover from from the illnesses. And so that's part and parcel why we included NN or uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which is an NAD precursor in BioBlue. So not only are you getting the major antiviral benefits of methylene blue in BioBlue, but you're also getting the NAD boosting capacity via the NMN. And it's research like this that validates our reason to do so. Because at the end of the day, whether you want to talk about different types of illnesses, diseases, cancers, in this, in this case, long COVID, not only are you going to have mitochondrial dysfunction, but part and parcel of mitochondrial dysfunction is typically poor NAD levels. Not to mention, as we age, we inherently have decreased NAD production. So by having that in the methylene blue, and it's not a large dose, it's just a low and slow approach, so to speak, uh, but you're getting this consistent dosage of NMN to A, not only help with sicknesses and illnesses and combat that, but optimize your mitochondrial bioenergetics with those consistent dosages. So again, in this article, they highlighted uh, the deleterious effects that long COVID has on NAD production. And I'll even go ahead and read this one paragraph to you guys. They say that the role of NAD in metabolic stress is essential. If antioxidant processes are impaired, reactive oxygen species can accumulate and cause DNA damage, leading to decreased NAD levels and increased inflammation that becomes chronic by triggering pro-inflammatory transcription factors with negative effects on the central nervous system's health due to intracellular signaling cascades that promote the expression of pro-inflammatory genes. The whole picture of the molecular and cellular mechanisms involved in long COVID is under investigation and remains insufficiently elucidated, but there is more and more obvious evidence that the damage to the NAD metabolome and consequently the mitochondrial dysfunction that follows through the integration of the virus genome, which decreases NAD availability for host metabolism and, in the end, causes cell death, can trigger elements of pathogenesis of long COVID. 
a complex interplay exists between increased oxidative stress, inflammation, and mitochondrial dysfunction. Thus, the depletion of NAD mediated by viral replication could trigger the subsequent abnormalities present, present in the long COVID. The author's conclusion is that intravenous administration of NAD could be a new way of managing long COVID. So there you can see kind of the interplay, of course, between reduced NAD levels or reduced NAD and its interplay with increased reactive oxygen species, mitochondrial dysfunction, and, and how that can set the uh, groundwork or the environment for long COVID. So there's a lot of interplay there. And it's interesting, they mentioned NAD and how it can be disrupted by a virus. Well, methylene blue is antiviral, plus you're getting that little dose of NAD or NMN, which is a precursor to NAD. So I, I find that it's very, again, validating that this type of research is coming out and that we've put together the recipe we have for BioBlue. But moving on, I, I found one more paragraph, kind of, uh, it's a little cheeky, but it's still pretty interesting nonetheless. Uh, it goes on to say, dysregulation with multiple phases of mitochondria can trigger the onset and progression of the long COVID, starting from the critical molecular machinery that regulates the functioning of the mitochondria, which in uh, long COVID is reflected by the loss of mitochondrial membrane potential, quote-unquote leaky electron transport chain, a decrease in ATP production, oxidative phosphorylation, and so on, practically from a leaky gut to leaky electron transport chain into a quantum leap. So I guess the cheeky part is there in, in the uh, the leaky gut and the leaky electron transport chain are all in quotes. So they're kind of like tongue in cheek with this. But again, the interplay with a dysfunctional uh, gut microbiome. So dysbiosis, and now they're saying, well, a leaky electron transport chain, which as we know, leads to excessive uh, reactive oxygen species, which is oxidative stress. And so there's a connection here they're alluding to with a leaky gut and a leaky electron transport chain inside the mitochondria and, and how that lays, again, the land for potentially setting up the environment for long COVID. Uh, but just jumping here to the conclusion, because uh, again, it's a long article, I don't want to pick it apart uh, in too much detail. I'll leave it to you guys if you want to go check it out. But the conclusion here is, this review highlights the key role of mitochondrial dysfunction in long COVID related to the complicated reciprocal action and reaction between infection, gut dysbiosis, dysfunctional mitochondria, and systemic inflammation generated in a vicious circle reflecting the molecular and cellular processes from the leaky gut to the leaky electron transport chain into a quantum leap. The imbalance of the intestinal microbiome with the reduction in commensal bacteria producing beneficial short-chain fatty acids that support the integrity of the intestinal mucosa competes for the occurrence of inflammatory phenomena, the hyperactivation of the immune system, mitochondrial dysfunction, and the increase in the level of autoantibodies. Stressful activities during the COVID-19 pandemic produced intestinal dysbiosis for a period of several months with negative effects on mental health in patients infected with SARS-CoV-2. Ectopically colonized bacteria from the intestine in the oral cavity in long COVID patients and digestive symptoms correlated with harmful metabolites in the serum could be the basis of the pathogenic mechanisms in this clinical pathology. The persistence of SARS-CoV-2 and its remnants, together with dysfunctional mitochondria in the heart, kidney, liver, lymph nodes, and brain, could be an explanation for long COVID and needs to be further studied. To prevent a decline in the quality of life among post-COVID-19 patients, follow-up and assistance through individualized health programs are essential. And so with that, guys, let's just keep in mind that they're highlighting dysbiosis in the gut. And we know red light therapy can help improve the ratio of beneficial bacteria to harmful bacteria. They alluded to abnormally colonized bacteria in the from the intestine in the oral cavity. So now 
we can use blue light, blue and red light, in the mouth because we know blue light uh, deactivates or kills harmful bacteria while leaving beneficial bacteria alive. So again, we're, we're switching the ratio, we're flipping the ratio uh, to our benefit from dysbiosis to biosis, I suppose. And so, hence the Guardian Plus. It has a combination of blue light and red and near-infrared light. So you can get the combination of both of those. And that's something I wanted to highlight that I forgot was like they're, they're alluding to the fact that we're having this harmful bacteria from the intestine found in the oral cavity. Well, voila, we can kill that harmful bacteria with that blue light. Uh, they're alluding to dysfunctional mitochondria specifically in the heart, kidney, liver, lymph nodes, and brain. And, and beforehand, I forget exactly where they alluded to systemic inflammation or systemic issues. All of this can be treated, I'll say, with red light therapy. If you can get light to reach it, you can help it because they all have mitochondria and apparently, especially dysfunctional mitochondria. And that's what red light therapy does. It improves the health. It improves the function of mitochondria in all of our cells. So if we're thinking of long COVID, just based on this article, if we're thinking of treating long COVID, I am personally thinking methylene blue as an antiviral. That's my first go-to treatment. We're dealing with a viral infection. Let's use the best antiviral we know, methylene blue. Uh, specifically, if we want to highlight bio blue because it also has and the NAD precursor, then we're killing a couple of birds with one stone as this article highlighted the negative uh, deleterious effects that long COVID can have on NAD and vice versa that low levels of NAD can have and set the environment for long COVID. So, so we have methylene blue, we have NAD or a precursor in NMN, and then secondarily, we have light therapy. We can treat our mouth we can use just red light therapy in our mouth and improve the oral microbiome. We can include blue light for its antibacterial properties. Again, kill the harmful, leave the beneficial bacteria. So we're going to flip the script and improve our oral microbiome. We can also treat specifically our gut microbiome with red light therapy. And then we'll also be helping our brain in a sense with a gut brain access. But then again, if we want to be more specific with our red light therapy and you can get the light to reach it, target the heart, target the kidney, target the liver, target the lymph nodes, and target the brain, which then again has a nice synergistic beneficial uh, relationship with methylene blue because most of the methylene blue ends up in your brain and then you can do that near-infrared transcranial photobiomodulation to your brain to help those mitochondria. So this this article is amazing. It's highlighting a lot of great things, but they're missing out <laughs> they're missing out on the the solutions which I think we just highlighted here at the very end. The combination of methylene blue and red light therapy I think could resolve a lot of these long covid issues. So if anyone out there, whether you're dealing with long COVID or you're a practitioner or physician and you've been treating long COVID and you've had success, please reach out to me, whether it's been with modalities that I just talked about or, or other otherwise, please reach out to me through, through email or DMs and I'd love to hear your feedback and see what's been working for you and or your, your patients because I think we need to get the word out on these holistic and alternative therapies that help because as, as the top of the article highlighted, long COVID and COVID and SARS-CoV-2, it's, it's, uh, it's running rampant on our healthcare, $4.4 trillion in the future. And that's just the United States alone. Uh, and that's for post-COVID recovery. So, I mean, there's a lot of stake here as far as just improving health. But then when we look at the geopolitical, geoeconomic side of things, it gets, it gets pretty crazy, the impact we could have if, if people could start just treating themselves at the root level and treat the root cause, the, the gut microbiome and dysfunctional mitochondria. But I hope you found this interesting, guys. I hope this whole episode has been illuminating. There's another pun for you. So I hope you guys, <laughs> I hope you guys have found this exciting, interesting, thought-provoking, kind of like what we covered today. Got a little more into the infrared sauna, got to highlight the methylene blue and its potential with the brain and, and neonatal toxicity, and then closing things out today with 
uh, long COVID and the impact that the gut microbiome and the mitochondria have and really how how since we know those two things can be impacted or are impacted by long COVID, we have the tools to really put ourselves on the road to recovery at a, at a relatively brisk pace if you use the right dosage, both methylene blue and, and red light therapy. So I think we have a couple of winners there. But if you found this information interesting, impactful, profound, or just like you need to tell someone, please do share this episode with a family member, friend, colleague. Uh, the more we can get this type of information out there, I think the better and the healthier we can move forward as a society. And again, I'm not the expert here. I'm just reporting on the information I'm finding that the researchers and, and the the experts are putting out there for us to read and, and really disseminate to one another. Uh, so this isn't about me. This is just about getting their information out to the masses. Uh, also, if you haven't taken a quick 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, please do so. I'd be grateful. Again, it's another way to get this podcast out there. Um, as you guys can tell, I don't have any uh, funding or, or any any monetary gains with this podcast. Um, this is simply me taking my time and energy to get the information out to the masses, to you guys. So if you could leave a quick five-star review, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but as always, I appreciate every single one of you for tuning in for another week of the Red Light Report uh, we'll continue learning. We'll continue gaining knowledge in all of this, you know, the amazing area of red light therapy and mitochondria, methylene blue, uh, quantum health, just anything that we can do to move our health and wellness forward. I'll see you guys next week on the next episode. And as always, light up your health. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.